be selfish. You were selfish about your addiction. Be selfish in your recovery because it's all about you. Once you've taken care of you, then everything else is going to be taken care of. The people around you are going to love you. Everybody's going to love you. You're going to love yourself, but you have to love yourself before you can love anybody else. That's what, even in relationships, you know, you can't get into a relationship if you don't like who you are. So that would be my suggestion to any newcomer. Just do it for yourself. Don't do it for somebody else. That was Stuart Michelson, and this is The Share Podcast. It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Share Podcast. And today, we have my good friend, Stuart Michelson, joining us on the show. Stuart is very loud and proud about his recovery. He has a website called Ask Me For My Help and is all over social media as an advocate for recovery. Stuart and I met when he joined the Share Recovery Network, our private Facebook group. He's got his own fan page called Responsible Sobriety. He's going to be launching his own podcast very soon and more recently got his coaching certification. Stuart is all in when it comes to recovery. So let's dive into Stuart's story, but first, a quick message from our sponsor. Hello, Share Podcast listeners. This is your host, Omar Pinto, and in January of 2018, I have launched a recovery life coaching community called ShareSpace. When I first got sober, I was a train wreck. My life was a mess. I said yes to all the wrong people because I had lost confidence and belief in myself. If you feel like your inner compass is out of whack, ShareSpace can help you. When I got clean, I had to rebuild my relationships, redefine my personal goals, and most of all, regain trust in myself. So do me just one favor. Check out the website, www.sharespace.net, and see if you can relate. Then do yourself a favor. Schedule a free consultation with me today. ShareSpace, isn't it time to believe in yourself again? And for those of you that are looking for the perfect recovery gift to give to yourself or to a friend in recovery, then go to www.allrecoveryrings.com. At All Recovery Rings, you can have any recovery medallion beautifully transformed into a ring you can wear on your finger. All you need to do is select the medallion of your choice, submit your ring size, and All Recovery Rings will create the perfect ring for you. So go to www.allrecoveryrings.com and order your recovery ring today. And if you'd like to support the Share Podcast by making a donation, then go to the website www.thesharepodcast.com. Remember to spell share, S-H-A-I-R. Go to the top right corner of the website where it says donate or click on any of the yellow donate buttons throughout the website and make your donation today. And for those of you who love listening to the Share Podcast and want to enhance your recovery, then join us in our Share Facebook private group, the Share Recovery Network. In this free Facebook private group, you will meet thousands of people in recovery that are loving, caring, and being of service. If you're struggling in your recovery or you're struggling in life, then this might be the perfect place for you. The purpose of the Share Recovery Network is to discuss recovery in all of its facets and all of its pathways in a way that is attractive and all-inclusive. 
So to join us in this Facebook private group, go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in S-H-A-I-R, Recovery Network, and our private Facebook group will pop right up. So join us today. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways to show your support for the podcast. And speaking of kick-ass reviews, our next review comes from Vinny270. Um, But before we dive into Vinny's review, I just want to say that last week I had mentioned that we were at 299 and I wanted to break 300. So I asked you guys for help and we're now at 302. That's awesome. And the one that put us over the top was Nick GCU, and I'll be reading that review in next week's episode. Because on this week's episode, we're going to be reading Vinny 270s and Van City Mason. So first of all, Vinny, he writes, one of the best recovery podcasts out there. A lot of great stories and advice for those in or seeking recovery. Awesome review, and thanks for the love, Vinny. And our next review comes from Van City Mason from Canada. A mandatory for success is the title. This podcast has changed my life. I am 15 months into long-term recovery, and I wouldn't have made it this far without this podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Keep up the great work. He says, thanks so much, guys. So Van City Mason is probably in the Share Recovery Network on Facebook that now has over 4,800 members and growing every single day. And I can't tell you how many messages I get that say they wouldn't, that they wouldn't have been able to make it 12 months, 15 months, six months, three months without the podcast, without the Share Recovery Network Facebook group. And the reason for that is because together we have managed to create an environment to discuss recovery that's all-inclusive without judgment and self-righteousness. It's awesome. It's why it works. Because it doesn't matter how you got clean and sober, what's important is that you did. So again, thank you guys, Vinny270, Van City Mason, and next week, Nick, GCU, who broke number 300 on our reviews page. Love you guys. HP, baby. Now a quick message from Transitions Daily and then on to the show. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Then go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Hey, Stuart. Thanks for joining us. Hey, oh, Thanks for having me today. All right, buddy. I'm excited to have you in the show. How are you feeling? I am feeling excellent, my man. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm really psyched to be here today. Oh, me too. Me too. All right. So, folks, today we have Stuart Michelson joining us on the Share Podcast. Stuart is one of the very active members in the Share Recovery Network. He's also very loud and proud about his journey in recovery. He's also a member of ShareSpace. So, you know, we've become very close over the last few months. Um, and he recently launched his own recovery platform called Ask Me for My Help. The four is the number four. And the catchphrase is, Join the nation, recovery. That sound about right, Stuart? Sounds excellent. Right on the mark. All right, buddy. So listen, before we get started, let's, before, we, before we dive right in, tell us a little bit about what your normal daily routine looks like, including recovery. Well, um, as you probably know, recovery is, is number one in my, in, my, in my books. Number one is the first thing I do in the morning and the, and the last thing I do at night. So my day really starts about 536 
where I'm on the elliptical machine for about 45 minutes, um, listening to a podcast, listening to Quarter of the Day, listening to you, listening to some other, some other podcasts. From there, uh, my uh, girlfriend has got me into doing um, sit-ups. So now I'm up to like 55 or 60 a rep. So I'm you know working that in. Nice. Uh, yeah. Listening, uh, doing some meditation. Um, so I'm listening to do, doing the, some of that. After that, it's upstairs. I usually have a bowl of cereal with uh, raisins, flax, and uh, bananas and some yogurt. Prepare my lunch, and we get ourselves ready for my day. And the day is usually, um, well, it was, it was still very recently in car sales. Um, I still do a little dabbling in that. But now, more than anything else, I'm working on recovery. Uh, I'm working on a life coaching course, which um, I'm listening uh, listening right now. I have the um, certification course will be in the middle of March. Uh, from there, we're going to be heading into hopefully recovery and peer, peer group uh, work. Um, I think I once told you, uh, um, you know, if if we talked about poker, I'm all in, and I, I pushed my all my chips in. I'm all in on this. Beautiful, beautiful. So, did you say you're you're doing sit ups in the morning? Yes, I do. Uh, right now, I'm at 55 sit ups per rep. I do three reps, so I'm up to about 165 sit ups, and every day I add five. That's impressive. What did you start with? Twenty. Okay. 20 and then how often do you increase every day okay all right i i'm actually going to uh i'm gonna I, I may i'm thinking about it it sounds good i might i might take the challenge three sets of 20 that's doable you oh, know yeah, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at i'm at three sets of 55 right now yeah but i'm i'm talking about me here Stuart. oh sorry <laughs> No worries, no worries. You got to start small. You got to right, exactly. That's why I asked you. I'm like, okay, there's, there's, there's been a process. So you've been doing this a while. You've managed to stay very consistent. Is it every single day? Well, yeah. Well, it's every. Uh, I usually I work out usually five times a week, so it's you know it's pretty well every day. Uh, I actually started this back in October when I dropped uh, I dropped meat out of my diet. So now I do a lot of chicken, a lot of fish. And I've been working on the elliptical machine. And so I've lost about 25 pounds doing that. So mainly it's all maintenance now. But now it's like, you know, I'm trying to get that, uh, what do they call that, that washboard look to me? <laughs> Dude, we all are. <laughs> well, at, at my age, you have to work at it. I, listen, buddy, we're the same age. So I got you. I got you. All right. That does not come easy. All right. So beautiful. Um, is there anything you want to expand on? You know, one of my questions is how do you maintain your spiritual condition, that conscious contact with your higher power? Anything more you want to expand on that? Or did you pretty much cover that in your daily routine? No, actually here, if you see, you can't, uh, I, I wear a chain. It says, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. You know, the serenity prayer. That's how I keep myself focused every day. I'm wearing that every day. I don't take it off. Uh, actually my girlfriend gave it to me our first Christmas together. Uh, you know, I practically cried there because I, you know, that's just amazing. Somebody would think of me that way. And from there, I've never taken it off and that's what keeps me grounded. That's what keeps me, um, focused on what my task is. And my task is to a stay sober, b be a good person to myself and then be a good person to others. That is a beautiful sentiment. And more importantly, that uh, a beautiful, um, I guess the word would be icon. 
you know, uh, or, or, or the medallion. You know, it's something that you wear every single day. It's hitting your chest, right? Right in the heart. You know what I mean? So you know it's there, man. I love that. I love that. You know, I, I, there's two things right there that I'm taking from Stuart, okay? Uh, chain. I used to have one. I used to, I used to carry one. It was my AA medallion, right? But the, but, the, but the chain broke, and I haven't been able to find one that my wife likes. So, uh, you know, that, that's always very important. So, but I love the dog tag. It's a, for those of you listening, it's a dog tag, and it's sweet. So anyway, I love it. All right, so listen, so let's dive into now as we move forward. Tell us how much clean time you have and when is your anniversary date? My anniversary date is the 25th of September 2015. So I'm not uh, not yet at 3 years, but I'm uh, you know, one day at a time. Every single day is another day on my on my calendar that I can cross off. And and uh, every day is just one more day of of being that better person that I want to be. Beautiful. I love it. All right. So tell us uh, briefly um, what it was like the first time you drank or used drugs. And more importantly, how did they make you feel? Well, it's funny because I was listening recently to, I can't remember which podcast, but I drugs were never part of my, drugs weren't my thing. I didn't do very much of that. Actually, I did it. I did it twice in my life. And I remember the reason what happened was, unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, my dad was more the medicinal man. He's, uh, he was the one who did the drugs in the, in the family. And, but he would hide it all the time in the freezer because, you know, he wanted, I, guess, I guess he wanted his product to stay fresh. I don't know, but I'm guessing that. I, that's the only thing I can guess. So one day I decided to, to steal a little bit. And I was, I was living with a girl at the time. And um, the first time I did it, I remember we were at a, at a, at a pool party. I must've been in the nineties and we were at a pool party and you know, you, you smoked it. And then afterwards it's like, Oh my God, you feel the water. So crystal, crystal feel our body. And then I remember we ordered pizza and it's like, wow, I can actually taste the green pepper and the mushroom. You can taste everything, but you know, it was foreign to me. So in that way, I guess it was a good feeling, but it was never something I liked. The second time we did it, uh, I remember I let her do the rolling because, of course, I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not a professional at this. And um, she uh, put too much tobacco in the first one. And then the second time she put too much weed and, and it ended up being I had the dry heaves. And thankfully, I never touched it again. It's not something I ever wanted to do. So it, it was it was done right there in, in the 90s. Alcohol, unfortunately, was something different. But to my first time with alcohol, I remember trying to be part of the group and I had a, we were um, I guess it's CJEP which would be probably grade 12 or grade 13 in the United States and I remember we were going to a um, we were going to a, a, a house party and they were you know, serving beer and well, first of all beer is not is not my thing I never liked it even even in a good day it wasn't my thing and I remember I had to drink 12 beers just to get rid of the taste of the beer <laughs> <laughs> but finally i got finally i got buzzed i got wasted and i remember it was the middle of the winter and uh and um you know i've shown you uh, on different occasions i've shown you pictures of what winter can oh be like oh my in god yes and um so what happened was uh we had a uh, a vw rabbit 
And, you know, we were, we must've been six, seven guys going, getting into the rabbit, but you know, the car wouldn't start. So you figure you got six or seven guys in there and there's just me outside pushing, push start in this car, but I got it started. So I guess, you know, the booze, the adrenaline, everything got me going. So it was a good feeling, but, at, but the actual taste of, of beer, never, I, I couldn't stand the taste of it. And it took me a very long time before I finally got rid of that taste and just got buzzed. <laughs> that was, that was my first experience with booze. All right. Well, Stuart, you, it looks like you're all warmed up, buddy. So it's time for you to share your story. All right. I'm turning the show over to you. It's time for you to share your story, your battle with drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life when you hit rock bottom, and then finally your journey into recovery up until today. So Stuart, take it away, buddy. Thanks. So um, first of all, I, want, I think I've told you this before, and I just wanted to make it known to the listeners. Uh, I've never done... Uh, inpatient treatment. Uh, I've been a, a 12 stepper uh, for my, my, my uh, alcohol anonymous career. Uh, and I just want to tell you that, you know, being part of your platform, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, share network, uh, it's allowed me to learn a lot about, about this disease that I, uh, that I go through every day. And, you know, just to start off, I want to thank you for helping me to understand me a little bit better. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's an honor. It was my, it's my pleasure. And I thank you. You're like, sort of like the sponsor I didn't have. (laughs) Um, my, my story, I want to tell you a story about a young man that I know. And this uh, story starts, um, he was, uh, playing hockey. He was actually skating at the local rink. And he was probably about eight or nine, maybe 10 years old. And he was taunted by one of his friends to, to get into a, you know, into a little race. And so what happened was here he is, he's, you know, he's all geared, ready to go. And he's, he, the, you know, the old, the, the whistle goes and there he is, he's, he's off and he's running against this guy. They're both skating hard. And all of a sudden the kid, as he's about to break slides, boom, right into the boards, breaks his leg. Wow. You know, that was tough for the kid, but, you know, he ends up going to school the next day or the day after. And this young man, he, um, he was, they played school, they played uh, football, they played touch football. This was in the winter. They played obviously touch football in the schoolyard. And here he is, he's got a cast on, he's got like, I guess, I don't know what kind of booting he has on his foot to, you know, to protect his foot. And he's, um, He's, you know, the kids all in his grade give him the football. And the reason why is because, you know, hey, it's the easiest guy to tackle, right? Oh. So this kid already has himself a small problem. About two or three weeks later, this same young man, he, um, you know, the, the, the kids in his class, I don't, you may never have had this. I don't know. I think I've heard that you're from California. So you probably never had this experience. But maybe some of your listeners have had this experience where, you know, when they were a young kid, uh, they were taunted to stick their tongue on the, on the Oh, no. Well, what do you want me to tell you? This, <laughs> this, this, you know, the kids, the kids taunted this young boy to, to stick his tongue on the fence. And, um, you know, he would try it, and I guess he liked it. And then the, well, the final time, he, uh, stuck his, he stuck his tongue on the fence. The bell rings. Guess what? He's stuck there. Stuck. He's stuck there. So, you know. 
that was happened. And then afterwards, they had to get the principal to come down and pour the water on his tongue to get his tongue off. You know, he's all dejected. He's, you know, and he, and he just feels that the kids are laughing at him, even though they're not even there. They're in their classroom. The final little story I'm going to tell you about this young kid. Uh, his parents have a, a cottage in the States, you know, so they're, you know, Canada States, you know, they're not that far apart. And, and this kid's, uh, this kid's father, you know, his father owns a company. His father does, is very hard worker. And, you know, the family always went down on the Fridays and came back on the Mondays. So, you know, the mother took the, the, the kids down and this young boy, they were helping to, to build a foundation underneath their cottage. And, what happened was is that you know they were digging this foundation and the father had called up the and they said uh, listen i want you to dig a trench you know maybe six or eight feet you know get it done while i'm not there yet when i get there you know if we have any problems i gotta cut some wood got, gotta cut something you know to get us past i'll get it done for it so the kid ends up doing it he, he digs he digs the hole i'll say at the trench the hole and he thinks he digs six, six feet but at the end of the day he digs six inches or seven <laughs> inches or ten inches so obviously when the father arrives, he's not very happy. You know, he, uh, he calls the kid over. He says, listen, why don't you come and see me? You know, this is not what I told you to do. You know, and the kid doesn't want to do it, but he does it anyways. And the kid and the father whacks him over the top of the head. Ooh. You know, the kid's ear was ringing from day, for, for, for days. So now, you know, this is what we call traumas. Okay. It's not necessarily a um, physical trauma. This is, could be a physical, it could be an emotional trauma, it can be a psychological trauma. But you want to know something, Go? Tell me. That, that young man is me. That's what I dealt with. I dealt with this all my life. My dad, and I'm going to, I may, I may get a little emotional, I don't want to, I'm going to try not to, but I've been taunted by this man all my life. And that was the beginning even though I didn't know it, that was the beginning of my descent. I was probably about 14 years old at the time when this particular uh, incident happened. And I was, this is the beginning of my spiral because at that age, back in the eighties and, and, you know, eighties, like maybe early nineties, notes of the eighties, we never talked about it. We never said anything. We didn't have the resources that there are today. To talk to people we didn't do it so i just suppressed all this stuff and so how did i how did i deal with it how did i deal with this mess that was my life that i didn't realize was my life well you know i started off drinking at a pretty early age i mean we talked about that that incident when i was uh you know at a house party but you know i've got probably three main liquor events that could define my life they're all while i was a grown-up uh, a lot older than i am today because you know at the end of the day, alcohol wasn't a big thing for me till my child was born and my my the mother of my child and i separated i was in politics i got into politics now politics in of itself there's a lot of alcohol involved in politics oh you yeah know? You know, alcohol, uh, politicians. You know, after after a night's uh, after a night's work, you know, or after a day's work, you know, they're always in these little these caucuses, and they're all drinking, and and you know, so alcohol was always around me. And even you know, when I was younger, 
alcohol was there. And we used to, at the cottage, we used to free pour. So in other words, I was a, I was a bloody Caesar maker. So, you know, free pour, you pour the, uh, you pour the, the, the vodka, you pour the, you pour the, um, the Clamato, you let the two of them stop. And then afterwards, there you go. There's your drink. And usually you had way more alcohol than you had, than you had, uh, um, Clamato. Clamato. That's it. So, but my, my days, my, my three incidents that really marked my life in, with booze, they were three times where I had a major, major problem. The first time I remember, um, I was working in the car industry. I, I just started in the car industry. And, you know, when you get into the car industry, first of all, you're, you're trying to build up your business. So, you know, you, you need to do some work. To, you got to stay late. You got to be always at the, at the office. You know, you got to stay there and, and you're, you're not, you're not on, uh, you're not on appointments, but you're on walk-ins as they call it. You got to, you know, you're waiting there, you walk in for somebody. And I must've done a stretch of two or three weeks where I was just nine to nine every day, bell to bell. And I remember a friend of mine called me and said, listen, why don't you come over? Uh, you know, I, I wanted to have a chat with you. I said, okay, listen, no problems. You know, it's on my way home. I'll come on by. And I remember I was needed to get gas, but I didn't get gas. I didn't put any gas in my car. So I go over to his place and we start off with Johnny Walker. So, you know, I figure you a tall, a tall glass, a tall glass. I say, okay, no problem. You know, you put, you put a little bit of Johnny Walker, you put your, your, your Coke. And that's, that's the end of it. I ended up by the end of that evening, I had five Johnny Walkers, uh, very little Coke left in it. And I didn't feel anything until I got up, but I ended up leaving his house. Now he lived pretty well in the middle of the city. Now I don't know why I was heading the opposite direction. I was heading the opposite direction of where I was supposed to go. And then what happened is that I ended up taking a turn and taking a car and running it into a big, huge, I guess, highway sign. I mean, I did $20,000 worth of damage on a car. Yeah, a car was, but the only thing I remembered was that there was a little yellow light because I had to fill gas. <laughs> now there. Now what I should have done is I should have gotten out of the car, thrown the keys away, and that would have been the end of it. But I didn't do that. I decided to get back in the car. I drive all the way completely the opposite direction. I understand I almost killed a couple people while doing it. And finally, I'm stopping at a gas station only because I remember I need to put gas. At the end of the day, of course, the cops stop yep. me. Get, I get I get a drinking and driving. I eventually get convicted. But you would think that that would have stopped me from doing it. I would have learned my lesson there. Ah, that was just the, 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 pre, the precursor to what went on. The second time around was um, I went to go see a, a woman in, in Ottawa. So that's about an hour and a half, two hours from here. And this is back in the days when I'm drinking and I'm drinking while driving. You know, I had a little Mickey in the car. I'm drinking. I'm driving. I'm doing this all. I, you know, I just kept drinking and I kept drinking all the time. I was drinking two bottles a night of wine. So try that two bottles of wine of, of wine for 10 years. Good Lord. Well, and now you know why I'm doing my exercises. <laughs> uh, but 10, 10 bottles, two bottles of wine, eight bottles on the weekends, all by myself. Nobody's drinking with me. I'm doing it all by myself. And so I remember coming back from this, from this, this, uh, this 
I guess escapade, which never happened. I, you know, I never ended up seeing this person and I, you know, you know, I'm pissed and I'm, I'm angry and I, you know, I, I don't know why I'm doing this and I'm just continue to drink. And I, I don't realize, but I ended up running this car that I had. I ran it into a wall and it was right across the street from my house. So, you know, I backed up the car, I parked it in the driveway. I went to sleep. All of a sudden I get a knock on the door. And I got the neighbor next door, you know, and he's yelling at me and screaming at me. And I said, listen, don't worry. I'll take care of everything. I'll fix everything. He said, you could have killed somebody because I ran the car right into a wall. Now, if somebody was standing there, yep. I would have killed somebody yep. and I would have done it. And it would, and I, I, and I should have thought of, thought of my daughter. If I would have thought of my daughter at that point, I would have, I should have stopped myself. But again, that's not what stopped me. What stopped me was, you know, I was married a very short time. I was married three months. My ex-wife never knew I drank, or so she said she never knew I drank. I hid it from her. My marriage was a lie from the start because I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell her. You know, you, you, you're, you're trying to impress the girl. You don't want, you know, when you're first starting out, so you're trying to impress them, and, you know, and you're trying to, and you're, and you're trying to, you know, make sure that she's, uh, you know, she likes you. She's not, you know, you figure, oh, listen, if I tell her I'm an alcoholic, she's never going to date me. So I never told her. And then this just kept going on. And then I kept perpetuating this lie. And I kept going and going and going. And finally, we got married. We went on a cruise. Uh, you know, she says that I, I almost hit her. I don't remember any of that. And finally, uh, one day, uh, I, you know, she, she tells me it's over. It's over between us. You know, before that, she said to me, I want you to go into therapy. You know, that's the only thing that's going to save our marriage. You're going into therapy. And I said, well, listen, you know, I'm not going into therapy. I'm not going into inpatient therapy. You know what? I'll try AA. And I tried it. You know, I went to a, I went to a, a class or a, a meeting and I went to two. And to just to be transparent for her, you, 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 I'm not sure, like on your cell phone, you can have this thing where, you know, you tell people like you, you share your, your location with 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 your buddy or your girlfriend or whatever. So I wanted to be fully transparent. So I, we had talked to my daughter, I'm not my daughter, my sister, who's a registered nurse in Canada. So we talked to her and we said, listen, you know, I'll be transparent. I'll let her know exactly where I'm going. And so that's what I did. You know, she had my coordinates. She knew exactly where I was. And I remember one night I was supposed to go to a meeting and I didn't go to the meeting because I ended up having to stay at the office. But the, the office is not far from a liquor store. So, you know, she's watching me on the transponder and she thinks I'm stopping at a liquor store, which I didn't do. But when I came home, you know, did I tell her the truth? No, I lied to her. I said, no, you're something wrong with your phone. There's no there's no way that I was I was near a liquor store. I was at my meeting. I continued to lie. So she threw me out. And. After getting thrown out, you know, I decided to write her a, a love letter. Uh, and I told her that, you know, not going to ha you're not going to divorce me. You're going to have to bury me beside my mother because my mother has passed away. My mother actually passed away from, from alcohol. And, you know, she sent that to the police. And all of a sudden I get picked up by the police. You know, they're taking me to the hospital for, you know, because I had suicidal thoughts. No, I was never going to kill myself. It's not something that's in my DNA, and I've never had a thought like that. But you know what? I didn't get married 
to get divorced. I didn't get married to do this, but I never thought about anything of what I was doing. You know, I was trying to make it with a girl that I actually like tried to make it with her the year prior to us actually starting to go out, but she didn't even, you know, she didn't even, you know, acknowledge that I, I was ex- existed. So, you know, she, I end up going to uh, the hospital, you know, I, I tell the doctor there, I said, listen, you know, my daughter, my sister, sorry, I always say my daughter. I don't know why my sister, I said, is a, is a registered nurse. Now, if there's not something seriously wrong with me, you can't keep me here. Okay. So you want to speed up the process. So they sped up the process. And this is about, about three o'clock in the afternoon. They said, listen, you just got to wait for the psychologist and everything will be fine. You can, you can, you can go. I end up seeing the psychologist and the psychologist said to me, she said, listen, you know, Mr. Michael said, everything is fine. Everything's fine in your life, except when you have alcohol. The minute you touch alcohol, you'll get yourself in trouble. That should be a lesson for you that you don't want to do that. So I said, okay, I understand. And uh, <laughs> didn't really stop me. When I say didn't stop me, I mean, it did stop me because I, didn't, I, never, I never started again. But what happened was as I'm getting dressed, the cops come in and pick me up and they tell me, well, you know, we're, we're arresting you for domestic violence. I said, domestic violence, when? When, when did I do this? They said, well, you started on your honeymoon and worked your way down. Ooh. I said, are you, for, are you for real? I got out three days later. She called the cops again on me for no reason. At the end of the day, I spent 18 days in jail. I had to plead guilty for, uh, you know, some offenses, but they were, I got what they call a, a conditional discharge. So in other words, I don't have any record. I don't have a criminal record for it. But, you know, my life was ruined. And the reason why she ruined my life is because I ruined hers, because I never told her the truth in the first place. So, you know, I, I should have learned my lesson a long time earlier, and I didn't. And today, you know, I, I take that as, 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 a learning, as a learning experience, you know, not a very, a very extremely painful learning experience, but it was a learning experience. Um, and since that day, you know, you know, by the grace of God, as some people say in the rooms, you know, I'm, I'm here today. I'm uh, I'm sober as a judge, and I'm I'm glad as as you said I I'm I'm on the top of my uh, soapbox, uh, screaming loud and clear that I'm Stuart Michelson and I'm an alcoholic and I'm proud to be that way. That's my story, man. That is beautiful. Thank you, Stuart. Um, you know, here's the thing, man. You know, now that uh, you know, since I since I started coaching, um. And and uh, people start talking about childhood trauma, and they start talking about those those early childhood wounds that they establish from an early age. You know how we look at ourselves and the world around us has a lot to do with how we were talked to as children, right? And subconsciously, we're still talking to ourselves with that same negative, defeatist tone. Right. And so the idea is to is to break away from that. You know, when you were talking about the kids, you know, and the things that you were doing as a child. Right. And the way that they would they would, you know, taunt you or or, or dare you or whatever. And then the whole idea of needing that acceptance. 
like needing that acceptance at the cost of your own well-being. There you are wearing a cast and, you know, playing football, right? And, and, and putting yourself in danger and then sticking your tongue, you know, on a, on a you knew it was going to happen. Everybody's seen Christmas Story. You know, you knew it was going to happen. <laughs> you know, and so, so what is it? You know, I need that validation. I can't validate myself because I don't have enough self-worth to say, I ain't doing that. What are you, crazy? What, do I look like an idiot to you? You know, and so there's that kind of, you know, where is my ability to protect myself, to defend myself from myself? Because this need that I have to be accepted, this need that I have for validation, to be included, to be a part of, is more important than my own well-being. And as a matter of fact, you know, it's kind of like a testament to my manhood that I'm able to step up and do these things, right? And, and, and in reality, it's not, you know? And then move from there to where it's like shame, you know? I feel like they're making fun of me. They're not even around. So you've got this inherent shame that tells us, you know, what's wrong with me? Because inside your head, when you're done, when you're playing football in a cast, when, you, when you're stuck on a pole, right, and you can't move, and you have to wait for the principal to remove you, it's like, what is wrong with me? Why would I do this, right? And it's the same dialogue that we have in our heads, you know, and as you get into coaching, I know you're getting into coaching, you know, uh, I'm sure this is the stuff that you're going to get into, but it, it's all about, you know, this framing that we have. We frame all this based on, a lot of it has to do with your father, you know, my father taunted me, he called me names, he bullied me, um, and a lot of that was just because I was a mama's boy, you know, I was terrified of my father, you know, so I would run to my mom, and my mom would back me up, you know, and so instead of learning how to, con to confront, which was what my dad was trying to teach me, he was teaching me how to man up, you know, I would run to mommy. You know, and, and so there was where that conflict between my dad and I was always there, was always present, right? Um, and, 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 so, and so these things perpetuate throughout our lives that lead us to the alcohol. And once the alcohol comes in, we're the toughest, bravest, strongest, most confident people in the world, right? That liquid courage that comes in and we're prepared to do anything. You know, um, and so, yeah, so despite our own well-being and the, despite the well-being of others, we put ourselves in life-threatening situations, and that is what the disease of addiction does for us, and that's what childhood trauma does for us. You mentioned that. You mentioned uh, childhood trauma. You know, we, well, all, we all have it. Uh, there's actually, you talk about the liquid, the liquid, uh, the liquid courage uh, I remember one, one instance where we were at the cottage and I remember my, again, my dad is a very, very hard man, old school, didn't finish grade eight, helped his family. I would probably suggest to you today that he probably blames, blames his family for, for his lot in life. He wanted to be a lawyer, ended up owning his own business, um, which was okay, I guess, for him. But I remember a situation, there were two situations. One where I remember the first time I ever saw him do drugs and I was, I was beyond angry. I mean, it, you know, like to me, drugs was just not the thing, you know, I, for other 
people, it, you know, do as you wish. But for me, it wasn't. And to know that my dad was doing drugs, that didn't sit well with me. And I remember one time, I don't know, I said something to him and he came at me and I did, you know, like if you ever watch in hockey, you know, when the guy, you know, sort of gives like gets the guy and the guy goes flying over the top of his body. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, my father ended up flying over the top, did a did a flip and landed on his back. Oof. And, you know, he was, you know, like he was out. But, you know, like I didn't care about it. And the second time was when we were at the cottage. I remember. Again, you know, we we were serving steaks and we had, you know, lousy plates. We didn't have real plates. You know, we didn't have trinette. I think we had the this styrofoam stuff. Ugh. And he puts a he puts a steak on, on. I'm holding the you know the plates, and he puts a steak out, and it falls on the floor. And, you know, he just gets, he just goes into a tirade. Well, liquid courage, because obviously I've been drinking all day. Liquid courage brought itself up to the up up to the forefront, and I practically you know, you know, tore him a new excuse my expression a new asshole, and um, he ended up leaving the cottage. And he told my mother, he said, I was afraid I was going to die that night, so he left the cottage. So, yeah, alcohol, the mask that we wear, the, 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 the Band-Aids that we put on ourselves, that's all they are. They're Band-Aids, and they make you strong, but you're not really strong. All you are is you're, 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 there's something that superimposes you to be something that you're not, but at least you don't feel any pain at that point in time, and, you know, if I had felt my pain, if I had the resources that I have today to, to, to give back and to not give back, but to explain my pain, maybe I would not have ended up with where I am and what I did. And, and, and I got to, but I can tell you one thing, though, I wear it as a badge of honor. It's what I did. It's who I am. And, you know, I can tell you, even you, you know, my girlfriend would say, I'm not even the same person I was last year. You know, I've learned so much from my disease. I've learned so much from the people in the rooms because everybody's got a story, you know, and, and, it, and if you understand the story, you don't have to relate to exactly their part of the story, but as long as you can understand their message, it's a message that we that we have. And every day I'm out there, you see me, I'm out there every day, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Instagram, whatever it is, because it's a stigma out there. And we have to end that. People got to stand up and say, hi, I need help. Please help me. And that's where I came up with the name, Ask Me For My Help. It's just because, listen, somebody needs help and we got to help them because there are way too many people out there who don't ask for it. And then we end up having a problem. Like I have a sponsee that, that, you know, went off the, went off the rails on Monday night. I'm looking for him all till Friday. I'm looking all over the place for him. I can't find him. And, you know, he told me he went on a binge this and that. And I said, well, listen, buddy, you know, okay. But Hey, you know what, you know what all these drugs, like, you know what cocaine is, is laced with today? You know, what's, what's going on out there? You know, you could be ending up in a, in a ditch. You could end up in a, in a, in a hole because, you took something that's a hundred times worse than what you thought it was. So you got to use your mind. I told him, I said, listen, buddy, you got to call me before you do this, not after it doesn't. I mean, I'll help you. I'm still there for you, man. I'm still there for your brother, but call me before you make the mistake. Cause at least I'll, I may have a conversation with you 
And you may say to me, fuck you, Stuart. I'll say, no problems. Go ahead and do what you have to do. But at least I know that I had the conversation. I told you, listen, it's not the right place to go and they're not the right, right path to take. Well, you know, I want to go into that next. Uh, I want to, I want to talk about your journey into recovery, but real quick, I want to touch on that, on that rage and that anger, you know, um, with your father, because that lies within us, you know, um, that abuse as a child, right? It has to, it, it has a home. There is, it doesn't just dissipate. It doesn't just disappear. It has a home. It's, it's in there. And like you said, you know, the alcohol, you know, if you're sober, then maybe you connect with the child inside of you. And when your dad comes at you, you do the same thing. Maybe you, you take a step back or you cower to your dad's rage. But when you're drinking, you are your father and you connect with it. And that rage is violent it is nasty. It is, it is something that at any given moment, the wrong person could see it. And even, in, and even in sobriety, even in sobriety, you know, the other day I was, you know, as I get, as I go further and further along in this journey, I tap into all of that. These unresolved anger issues, these unresolved rage issues that, you know, something goes, you know, something there's a mis there's a miscommunication um the other day my mother and i had a horrible disagreement on something and thing is that what i've realized is over the years is she does not listen to me she's never listened to me she doesn't listen to anybody she's waiting for you to stop talking that's all she's doing she's waiting for you to stop talking so that she can interject but she's never listening and I've always blown it off, always blown it off, always blown it off. But this time it was about my daughter. She said something in front of my daughter and it just pissed me off. And I'm trying to explain to her why I was so upset and she wasn't getting the message. And that beast came out of me. The same one that you have inside of you, it came out of me. And I said some things to my mom that I, can never, that I cannot unsay. She cried for like five days after that. She wouldn't take my calls after that. She's like, I've never ever seen you so angry i like i have you know and it's and 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 it was like when i connected with it and i've let it go since because i realized where it came from but i think we all have an obligation to really connect with that inner rage because it's there and at any given moment right depending and this is why a lot of times i talk about toxic relationships if you're around the wrong person at the wrong time and they push the right button, that person's coming out, sober or, or not. You know what I mean? And so I think it's, a, I think it's an important topic. You know what I mean? And it's something that, that I'm glad you brought up because I think it's something that, that, that you know, un, unlooked at or at least without a certain amount of work. You know what I mean? Like, why not? Let's work through this. Let's get rid of this monster. You know what I mean? Because you know what? I don't need it. One hundred percent. I used to. Uh, I I dated. I dated a, a girl, and I used to. Oh, I used to have a fire in my belly. I didn't know what that fire, but it was rage. I know it was yes. rage. And it, but I've never. It's like it was a burning. It like tied me up in knots. And sick. I, yeah, it was crazy. And and and. You know, I had actually, funny enough, I had my daughter here this this weekend, 
you know, it's been a while since she's been around. Uh, you know, uh, I got her, I gave her, was able to give her her Christmas gift. And, um, you know, I started talking to her, you know, because I'm trying to build that relationship back with her. You know, she saw me at my worst. And from that day, she made it clear to her mother, I don't ever want to stay with my father anymore. I may see him from time to time, but I don't want to see him anymore. I don't want to, I can't be around that person. And she'd seen me one time where, where the rage, I remember, I remember it's not even, it has nothing even to do with, with, with somebody. We were selling a house. I was selling my house. We we're moving from one end of the city to another. And the main reason why is because she started school too early and I, I just couldn't dry. I couldn't get her up any earlier to start her across the other side of the city. And so I remember our bathtub, I had a pedestal bathtub in this house, but for some odd reason, there was a gap between the end of the bath and the wall. Like, you know, the tiles they put on the and there was, and so one night she decided to, you know, she's young. She's probably about nine, eight, nine years old. And she's decided that she wants to make this into a swimming pool. It's not a swimming pool. It's a, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a house. And I have a guest coming on Saturday, this Wednesday night. And all of a sudden the water, you can just see the water oh. in, in the ceiling. You could see the water. And did I lose it? And I, my girlfriend at the time, she told me she was cowering behind the bath. Uh, the, behind the toilet, I was so angry, and I always promised myself, "Oh, I would never treat my daughter the way I treated my father treated me," but it didn't work. And and I know, you know, when you're that young, maybe it doesn't register. But she's lucky enough that her mother is a little bit more intuitive, and it ended up being that I remember one time I got drunk and I was lying on the on on, on the on the couch, and she just it was it she left and she would never come back to me again and so i had this conversation with her on the weekend i said listen you know you have a cell phone you know i text you from time to time i call you you don't get back to me you know like your daddy wants to 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 make something he wants to build a relationship with you and you know she wants to try i mean she's trying she's coming to me she's coming to the house so i know she still loves her father um, she's making a small effort, but I don't, you know, for me, maybe it's not a big enough effort. And so, you know, I didn't lose it with her, but I told her, I said, listen, I know exactly what I've done. I know what I, this person, I know what I did to that person. I know, I know deep down inside because I've looked deep down into the well of what I've done. I know who I am, Sarah. I know who I am. I know where I was. I know where I am and I know where I'm going. And I stand up and I, like I said before, I stand up and I, I have no qualms telling people who I am. Why? Because that's it. That's who I am. Step four, uh, brutal. You got to be your, your, your inventory of yourself. You got to be brutally honest for all your listeners. If you're not brutally honest, guys, be that way because it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you in the long run. You've got to admit to yourself who you were because once you can admit that, then you're free of those shackles. I have nothing on my shoulders anymore. My shoulders are weight-free because I've cleared it. I'm clear in my mind what I've done in my life and, and why I did it and what brought me there. I know what got me there. Like we, we talked about that rage, that deep, deep rage inside of me. I know what got me there. But I also know the lessons of what I've done because my past have to be the lessons of my today because there is no future oh the, the future is just a whole bunch of nows 
they're going to be coming up. We can't get to the future. The future is by the time I get to the future, it becomes now. And then afterwards it's the past already. So that's what, well, that's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I love that analogy actually. So that's, you know, that's how I live my life. I live my life in the, in the now I live life on life's terms. I attack every, every problem as if it's a problem today, not what it's going to be tomorrow. And I try and use my past experiences to help me solve today's problems. That's what I do. Well, I would, I would, as a suggestion, you know, take it easy on her, you know, kids are kids. And, you know, actually the more time you, you allow them, you just give them their space. You don't even, you know, you just, you just be there for them. You know, you never let them see that side of you ever again. And you just be there for them. And, you know, my daughter, we've never had an issue. She's 14 years old. I got clean and sober when she was 14. You know, she's never seen that side of me, right? But as soon as she turned into a teenager, man, it was like, it was like she became somebody else, right? And there was, there's zero issues between us, right? And of course, I would be like, I don't like this and I don't like that. Sometimes I might question her about something. She might go, you know, so I've learned, what I've learned is I just, I just, I give her her space. I let her, I let her come, I let her come to me, right? As much as I'd love to kind of smother her and, and wish she was more like with a little five-year-old that used to wrap herself around my leg, you know what I mean? And, and kiss me on the mouth, you know what I mean? And, and she's no longer that little baby anymore. She's become a woman, you know what I mean? And, and we all have that rite of passage that we we're going through. You're going through your own rite of passage right now. This whole anger thing, you know, uh, that we're connecting with, it's 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 prevalent. It's for me. It's for you. We've had this. It, it comes from when we how we were raised from our dads. You know, I, it was comes exactly from that same taunting, bullying, aggressive behavior. You know what I mean? Um, and walking away from that, man, people don't forget it. People do not forget that person uh but after a while they 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 the the new person just kind of takes over you know and they kind of forget the old person right and you just kind of become this new person and that's that's a beautiful thing when recovery really reshapes who you are well and it's it's ironic because the last time i spoke to my father was in march uh and it's mainly because he didn't want to he didn't enjoy the way i i I finished off my, my divorce with my, with my ex-wife, you know, as a, as usual, you know, he thought I got the short end of the stick. Uh, you know, my father was a type also that, you know, you, if you asked him his suggestion for a suggestion, forget about it. He took on the problem and he, you know, he just didn't let it stop. So I remember walking into the house and my girlfriend's behind me, uh, you know, she were, we're walking in and he's upstairs. And I said, how's it going, dad? He says, not well. I said, okay, well, what's wrong? And he just laced into me, a tirade into me like it was no tomorrow. She ran out the door. I turned around, and I haven't spoken to him since. And you know what? I have no regrets. My life is so much cleaner, so much happier. Uh, my heart rate is a lot better. Not that I had a heart problem with it, but you know, my, just my whole attitude you know, gratitude is having a positive attitude. And, you know, my whole attitude in life has changed. Like I said, I've, I've, I'm a changed man since already a year. I don't remember who I was. 
uh, in the sense I don't remember that individual. I like the person I am today. Um, I'm so heavily involved. We, we were talking. I saw I saw someone uh, on the share on the share uh, network. I won't mention their name. They had gone through a, a different a, a different a little bit of a problem. They were back on. Uh, you know, they'd come through a difficult time. And they were talking about a problem with their uh, with their partner, whatever the case may be. And I was just saying, listen, you know, stick with it. You stick with it. You were selfish when you were a drinker. You're now selfish when you're in sobriety. And then I got into the part where I'm learning right now feelings versus emotions. You know, the difference between a feeling and emotion. What, what one of them is 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 subjective. The other one is not. And you got to take your negative. You got to take your negative emotions and turn them into positive feelings. And so, you know, just, you know, love, man, hope, strength, courage. That's all you need. It's, and, and I, and at the end, I said, you know, you just keep coming back and you just keep, keep at it because that's the only way you're going to survive. You got to keep at it. It's a day by day process. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually did read that post and I wrote what you, what you, what you wrote on there. Um, and I've just been, today's been one of those back to back days. So I've just been able to gloss over, but I remember thinking that was a great response you know, and it's something that, you know, uh, that person needs to hear, you know what I mean? Uh, and something that comes, you know, with, with, with information that is positive and also loving, you know, and, and, and that's the thing that we need more than anything else, just to adopt this idea that everything that we do in our life is in search of love. You know, even when we were doing drugs and drinking alcohol, we were trying to comfort ourselves. And when we're trying to comfort ourselves, it's because we love ourselves. And when, there, and when you are in pain because of a wound, you know, you, you want to shield it. You want to cover it. You want to protect it. You know, and then you want to soothe it. Right? And so using drugs and alcohol allowed us to do that. Right? Um, and, and, you know, protecting ourselves, you know, we use what we can. And, at the, at, you know, for, for many years, it's, it's anger and rage. You know, and the good news is it. We don't need we don't need it anymore. We don't need it anymore, and it's and it's a beautiful place to come from. It is, and and I think one of the one of the I remember finding you out probably in June or July. I remember I was I was I was on a different podcast, and you were on that guy's podcast. And one of the things I I, I really liked your your tone. So I said, you know what, I better find this guy because you know it's like a. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to learn a little bit, you know, and I'm, I'm getting a little technologically advanced here, podcasts. Now, I, I never even knew what that little purple button was on my phone until he <laughs> tells me, just press that button. And then, you know, just like I said, listening to you, joining your, 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 your share um, network, getting thrown out by one person. We both, who it is, I'm not going to say who it is. But you know what? I, I understand. Now I understand. Then I didn't understand why, but I, you know, I understand. And I and I thank that person for from the bottom of my heart for for protecting um, the individuals of the network. And uh, but it's been a a a life altering um, life altering experience for me. Like I said, I never was an inpatient. I didn't have. I didn't go into it. But this has been my inpatient development and my inpatient uh therapy and and just being able to talk to people who've got the same problems as me that we all have the same disease you know i get to talk to you why because 
you've had you have exactly what I have. You had it in a, in a different form. You decided to use a different substance, or you used multiple substances. I I chose one. You know, listen, uh, as the old saying goes, I'll try anything once. If I don't like it, I won't do it again. And so, you know, but it's just the people. I remember you saying it once. I can't remember who you said it to. You said sometimes people just don't have time to for 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 meetings, and maybe they just don't like that atmosphere. And in this place, you can talk. To to people you can hear them you can speak with them you can dialogue with them and nobody's going to know what's going on it's like in your own therapist's office we're all in this office and when i started with you you had about 3600 members you 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 have you've grown in leaps and bounds in a very short time and if i can if i and i told my sponsees if i could tell anybody out there stick with this guy because he's going to take you places he's got a, a way with him that is perfect, honest, genuine, because you've got to be genuine. And he's brutally honest. He'll be honest with you. He'll tell you. He'll call you on your stuff. But it's because it comes from the heart. It does. It does. It does. It took many years to get there, but all of it comes from the, it all comes from, from the heart. It all comes from a place of love and patience and tolerance and acceptance, right? Because I have those things for myself now. You know, you come from a place of, of authenticity, that's what we seek, you know, when we can come from being our true, uh, our most truest version of ourselves, then something very, very beautiful happens. The energy, our aura completely changes, and who we attract completely changes as well. So um, let's dive into, here's what I want to get a little more information on. Tell us a little bit, you've got two and a half years in, now you're all into recovery. Tell us when you got the idea to launch the blog and all the, and, and the direction of what your recovery movement looks like moving forward. Um, I ran into, uh, well, what I say ran into uh, on the podcast, I ran into, um, Anna David and, uh, I started listening to a little bit of her. And, uh, from there I just started doing a little bit of networking and I, and I, I didn't really realize that I liked writing, but, it's part of it's part obviously journaling and writing is part of our therapy and i said to myself okay and uh you know so i started typing up a little bit and and start putting things down on paper i mean i'm going to i'm going to write a book i've already got different chapters written at least pieces of chapters and then i said to myself you know there's just way too much hurt out there there and and but it was it was something also that you know, I'm a little naive to this. And, and I thought, you know, okay, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to talk to people and, you know, they're going to respond to me and it doesn't come that easily. You know, people, people, there's, there's so many people out there, unfortunately, that, you know, the people, people who are hurting, even people who are hurting sometimes check out and look what they're looking for before they just jump into something and, and, and dive into this guy or dive into that girl or whatever the case may be. So I opened the website mainly because I, I, I wanted to give an opportunity to tell people my story, uh, how I was feeling, uh, saying it loud and clear. And if you've read my stuff loud and clear, I'm an alcoholic and I'm proud of it. Um, and how I've gone from point A, which is admitting that I was powerless over alcohol and that my life has become unmanageable, to today where I understand what I've done, I can accept what I've done, I own my own shit, and 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 I want to be able to help you. And if I can, if you can take one word, one syllable 
one sentence out of anything I've said, well, I've done a service to you and I've done a service to myself. So it came from that impetus that I decided to open up the website. Um, then, you know, I got caught up in the Twitter thing and, you know, when you start talking and you start saying things and then all of a sudden people are clicking you saying, oh yeah, I retweet that. It's like, I, I don't even, and they're sending you hearts and I'm saying, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, it's, it's now it's becoming to snowball. I mean, I've got, I'm on Instagram as well. Um, I've, I, I will get into the aha moment in a, if, when we get there, but I just decided that I'm 51 years old. If I want to change my career, this is about the, you know, I can't, I, I've got to change it into something that I can do as opposed to something that I need to, you know, do a major overhaul to, because at this age, you know, it's hard to find a new, new employment, you know, in a different complete, if, if, if that's what you want to do. And I, you know, listen, I've been in politics a great part of my life. I've always been of service and I just never, took my service to the next level. And so I decided to do that. And from there, well, you know, I was, I, I was looking at the life coaching thing, but I just, I didn't know, you know, which is a good one, which is not a good one, you know, and I tried and I, and I, I working at it. And finally I joined a, I joined a group. When I say joined a group, I mean, I, I registered for a, a course. Uh, I'm listening, I'm, I'm learning about hypo linguistics right now. Holy mother of all. Uh, but you know, it's a study of the back and the front of your, of your head, right? It's your subconscious mind and your conscious mind. So, um, you know, I'm studying that. And then after I'm finished this six module course, then we have the certification in March. I'll then be certified as a life coach and ex an executive life coach. Then I got to look into recovery and peer and, and peer coaching and, you know, it's it that's what it's all about for me for me it's just helping others now because you know there are 22 million americans that are in long-term recovery 23 million americans that are still you know under active active addiction i'm not talking about canada canada where we got a we got a smaller number because we're a smaller population <laughs> but or one tenth of the united states so if they got 22 million we got 2 million no we don't even have that many but it, it's just there are just too many people hurting and the hurt I, I feel their pain because I've gone through their pain and, you know, to see, to hear stories about, you know, people that, you know, they, 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 they couldn't gar build up the courage to just ask for some help. You know, they end up dying from an, an opioid uh, overdose or they die because, um, you know, nobody, you know, they're, they're homeless out on the streets and nobody's helping them out. You know, drugs are prevalent or alcohol is extremely prevalent in their lifestyle. You know, they need somebody to just say, how can I help you? I mean, I was in the Metro, well, you know, the subway system. And I said, just to show you the difference, I saw a, a homeless man and I went up to him and I said, listen, how can I help you? You know, Years ago, I would have, you know, just walked by this guy. It's like, you know, another, you know, excuse my expression, another, you know, bum. And, and but we're not bums. We're all human beings. We all got hearts. We've had a, some of us had different lot in life. Me, look, look at me. You know, I'm still bullied to this day, although I don't allow myself to be bullied anymore. But the last time I spoke to my father, I have a list. It's, it's a third, it's a, it's a two page list of everything I've done wrong over the last 30 years. Like he just won't. 
he's not moving forward. Well, I'm going to move forward. I'll let him, I'll let him decide when he wants to come and say hello, he'll say hello. But that's what got me into the, into, into the recovery, well, recovery, into moving into the recovery business because I want to help. I want to be of service to people just as you're of service to people in, in a different form. I want to be of service to my, my fellow, my fellow brothers and sisters who are out on this planet. Perfect. Perfect. I love it. So if our listeners want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Well, they can get me. First of all, I'm at uh, www.askmeformyhelp.com. For with a, a, the four is the number four. Um, they can reach me on Twitter. I'm at um, at responsible sobriety. Uh, Instagram, it's ask me for my help. Uh, I also have uh, my personal website is Stuart at askmeformyhelp.com. Perfect, beautiful. I'll have this listed on the show notes, folks. All right, so you can get that information on the show notes. All right, Stuart. Well, you know what time it is, buddy. It's time to close up. And the way I like to close up is for the newcomer. So I'm going to ask a few questions about your early recovery, and I want you to, to respond with inspiring answers you can share with our newcomers. Are you ready? I am ready. Go for it. Perfect. So number one, what was keeping you from getting clean and staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? Um, the most important thing that got that, that, that was my, my, uh, blockage was the fact that I wasn't doing it for me. I was doing it for somebody else. You got to do this for you. It's all about you. I was selfish as a drinker. I'm selfish now as in sobriety. So that was my, my big, my big blocking point. Uh, it was after my wife or ex-wife wanted me to go into treatment. You know, I, um, you know, I was doing it, but I was trying to save a marriage, which two weeks, two and a half weeks later, it ended up blowing up in my face anyway. So I really wasn't doing it for the right reasons today. As I, as I have a meeting tonight, uh, Tuesday nights are my night. So, uh, you know, I'll be at my meeting in a, in a little while. So that's what stopped me from, from getting sober the first time around. Perfect. Perfect. And number two, at what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover? The funny thing about that is my, my, my present girlfriend said to me, I told her there were only two people I ever told about my alcohol problem. The first person was my therapist and the second person was my doctor. And the reason why is because in my mind, you know, the whole Hippocratic oath, the whole confidentiality, they couldn't tell anybody. I would, it, so it was my little secret with them. <laughs> but my aha moment, oh, is I'm standing on my soapbox, screaming at the top of my lungs, I'm an alcoholic and I'm in recovery. That, is my, that was my aha moment. Because she said to me, <laughs> You're screaming at the top of your lungs now. You're telling everybody now. So that must be your aha moment. And that was my aha moment. <laughs> no that rock is... bottom. Everybody, everybody I hear does the rock, rock bottom moment thing. It wasn't for me. It wasn't. My aha moment was, was admitting that I was powerless over alcohol and that my life had become unmanageable. That's when I admitted it because I told everybody else. <laughs> That's a first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's funny, man. It is funny when we have these great aha moments that are just 
so remedial. They're just so like in your face. Like it's just been, you know, like you, you're, you're so deep into it. You don't even realize that you've let go. Right. And then, and when somebody points it out to you, you're like, yeah. <laughs> Strong <laughs> aha moment. <laughs> I, remember, I, remember, I, I remember her telling me this. I said, what are you talking about? She says, you're screaming it at the top of your lungs to everybody. That's your moment. I said, wow, that is my moment. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. All right, so Stuart, tell us, do you have any favorite books you would recommend to a newcomer that you read in early recovery or anything you're reading currently? Uh, my first book that I read uh, was uh, Brian Cuban's book. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, re- I read Brian Cuban. Um, What's the name I've of that read- one again? Oh boy, uh, yeah. drugs, booze. Um, uh, I don't have it offhand in front of me. I forget too. I forget too. Booze, drugs, uh, the booze, the blow. Uh, but it was it was the one by Brian Cuban. Uh-huh. Um, James Altucher, who was uh, Choose Yourself, because you know he talks about the four stages of of how we need to um, to uh, What's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, you know, spirit. We have to we have to make ourselves pure spiritually, uh, mentally, physically, and uh, there's a fourth one in there. Uh, spiritual. I always mix it up. Spiritual, mental, physical, and financial. And so, you know, if you can get all that done and work on that every day, uh, you can be in in a good place. Uh, the one I'm reading right now, or or listening, because I do the audible, I'm listening to Eric Thomas, The Secret of uh, Success. Uh, I'm really enjoying that book. That book is great. Oh man, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, well, loved I'm uh, I, 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 at the beginning. I'm saying to myself, "Holy moly, he's telling us his story." Uh, you know, he's in the Chicago, he's in Detroit, and we're listening to his story, and then all of a sudden he gets into it. I'm saying. But man, the way he set it up, because, you know, like this is the first Audible book that I'm hearing music, I'm hearing all different stuff going on, but it really is a good book. And like, I, I, I listen to all the books uh, that I, I, I have on uh, while I'm doing my elliptic, I try and kill two birds and what so, but yeah, it's very, very good. He's got a lot of very, very good um, points and, and theories about how to be successful. And, and it's, it's everyday stuff that we don't realize, but it's everyday stuff that, that anybody can do. Oh, yes. Yes. Highly, highly recommend Eric Thomas's book, uh, The Secret of Success. And then I found Brian Cuban's The Addicted Lawyer, Tales yes. of the Bar, Booze, Blow, and Redemption. That, that's, that's the one. Yeah, that, was the, that was the first book. All right. Excellent. All right. So what is the best suggestion you have ever received? Uh, the best reception, re, re, the best suggestion suggestion perception the best suggestion <laughs> the best suggestion i ever received is um keep coming back okay you know yeah you know it's don't ever let yourself get too far ahead of yourself don't ever ever think you're you're that you're cured because you're not cured you're managing something but you're not cured you can't get cured you can manage it, and with the right tools, you'll be it, it, everything will work out, hopefully positively for you. That was the, that was the the best suggestion I ever got. Perfect. And finally, if you could give our newcomers only one suggestion, what would that be? Be selfish. You were selfish about your addiction. Be selfish in your recovery, because it's all about you. 
once you've taken care of you, then everything else is going to be taken care of. The people around you are going to love you. Everybody's going to love you. You're going to love yourself, but you have to love yourself before you can love anybody else. That's what, even in relationships, you know, you can't get into a relationship if you don't like who you are. So that would be my suggestion to any newcomer. Just do it for yourself. Don't do it for somebody else. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Um, I just would reiterate, be selfish in life, you know, and, and what I mean by that is, is we have to apply self-care when it comes to the list of values that we have in our lives. Many of us have our families, our careers, you know, our friendships, our children, you know, la, 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 but we don't list ourselves. And it's so important that we are very high on that value scale because when we value ourselves and we exercise and we eat right and we sleep well, you know, and we educate ourselves and we become these, you know, the best version of ourselves, then that best version of ourselves we give to our children, to our wives, to our friends, to our community. It's that obligation we have to ourselves first that, uh, that where, where that, the idea of being selfish is so important. So couldn't agree more, Stuart. Thank you. All right, brother. We have thank you so much for joining us. Well, it was my pleasure. I thank you for for having me. I I tried a couple times. We finally hooked it up, and uh, here I am. Uh, we almost. I uh, thank God you were on uh, earlier because uh, I almost got us an hour late. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you did that because I was like, well, I would have hit you up anyway because I was gonna send you the link. Going, hey, here's the link to our interview. <laughs> <laughs> no problems. I thank you for having me. It, it's been a pleasure. I enjoy being on ShareSpace. I enjoy being at work. Um, I really enjoy. You've been a huge part of my recovery and a huge part of my success in anything I'm doing right now. So thank you. We can't do this alone, brother. We do this together. Thank you. All right, folks. We have now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.